Professional Goblin Podcast. I'm Scott Gladstein, and here with me, as always, is Mike Myler. Hi, everybody. How you doing? And today we have a wonderful guest, and I'll let him introduce himself. So, uh, who is this mysterious man? Well, this mysterious man with the incredibly fake-sounding name is uh, John Kennedy. How you doing, John Kennedy? I thought you were dead. I get that a lot. I- I'm sure. I'm sure you get bullets a lot. I mean, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, John, welcome to the show. Um, do you want to give us some of your background, who you are, why they should care? Because let me tell you, you guys should care. Well, apart from what you've read about me in the history books, um, I'm a tabletop game designer. Um, I've been in the industry about 11 years now. Um, I started uh, when I was going to Purdue, Purdue University, you know, go Weathermakers. Um and then uh, I've always loved role-playing games, and it was one of those few activities that my mom was actually incredibly excited that I took up. Wow. Because really? she's that, like, that's, wait. That's rare. Yeah. She was more along the lines of, wait, you want to go out and interact with kids your own age? No, I'm for it. What do you need? Do you need dice? Okay, we'll get you dice. That's cool. But oh, um, mom was that's... apparently very cool that way. She, like, ran his first couple D&D games and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. I know, right? Like, I can't even imagine. Like, my mom had a red box, but it got, like, destroyed and lost and stuff. And, like, yeah, I haven't gotten to play with her yet. Like, play D&D. Oh. Something. We, um, let's say my mom was like, oh, that's nice. Go do it. I'll make you, I'll make you some brisket. It'll be great. Um, <laughs> oh, so- no, I got in trouble for doing it. Because, like, at first they were like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. Stay after school. And then it became, like, Sunday. I'd leave at noon. And I'd, like sneak into the house at like four in the morning and they'd lose their <laughs> shit because like we just played a really long game and like it would go like 12 13 14 hours and, like we're all having a good time and oh, chris is ready mean. to keep running so like you know yeah i got dragged out of there a couple times we um that happened from college actually um <laughs> I actually met my mom after a um uh, marathon uh D session uh she came in for like early morning brunch and she noticed that i looked really tired um, and she's like, why are you so exhausted? Oh, I just came from the student union. And I tried to pass it off that I was doing like a term paper or something. But uh, I, she kept like asking me all these questions about my paper that I was unable to answer. My mom's a teacher. So she was Aww. sort of like, that doesn't sound like a history paper. That eventually was like, yeah, we were fighting an, an elder gargantuan black dragon. And uh, we killed it. But she was totally unimpressed. Totally unimpressed. Yes. We were pretty impressed with ourselves. <laughs> we, um, so mine started by uh, a friend of mine. I, I've read 3.5 in like you know, elementary school or middle school or first or middle school. And my friend was like, hey, we're going on a camping trip and I've never played D&D. Do you want to run something? I, I don't. And I was just like, I'm like, I can make a game from scratch, I, I guess. And he's like, yeah, sure. So we literally took pieces of rolled up tinfoil paper. And that was the first game we ever played. It was broke oh. as like all get out, yeah. And then we eventually re- we kept like refining it like in house for t- for years, and like eventually we had like twelve players coming over every Thursday. Um, and yes, we still use the tinfoil things because people just like the tinfoil things for a while. I don't yeah. know why they were just really into the tinfoil balls. Um, Chris, 
had a like the garage and there's a pool table we used to play pool on but became the terrain table oh yeah definitely yeah it was just devoted to the game and like we had like eight people and it was amazing just watching run because like we, we were i mean generally people were were in the game the whole time and like it's really difficult even now with four or five people on i don't know how you did with eight let's say I, yeah. I missed the like like all right guys it's friday night um we finished up our classes yeah we're in the dorms all right guys we're not we're not cutting out of here till sunday and we're like let's do it yeah. and we'd Next. literally go for like until like everyone but like like it would be like me and the gym be like all right, guys. And he's like, uh, I think we have to go to sleep. I'm like, nah, man, I want one more turn. And That's how the month like, happened. Yeah, that, then we do it like, that would be like every like Friday, man. We would go like do two, three games a week, try a new system. Oh, it was gross. <laughs> it was wonderful, but gross. I ate so much quick trip food. Yeah, it's harder as adults. Oh, um, yeah. Next weekend, Steph is going out of town, so I, I invited a bunch of people to the house and she was like what are you doing inviting 13 people here like i told you you could have four or five people over and i was like do you really think that 13 people are going to be available for 12 hours on yeah. saturday to play a game like that's not what's going to happen it's going to be maybe three or four people like i'm, if I'm I, lucky i do um nowadays what we call the pathfinder potluck but it's a it's a pathfinder oh yeah it's something but... pathfinder potlucks we've always we rhyme it we get a lot of alliteration out of it and we go all night, and it's great. Um, but I think our neighbors got really pissed at us last time because, you know, 2 a.m., yeah! And everyone was like, <laughs> so people got really pissed at us. Oh, half under pasta potluck. I, cut, I make all the pasta. And um, hmm. they got a little pissed That's at weird. us last time, and um, we kind of moved it to a different person's house. So at some point, we're going to do it again. Oh, maybe that's what I'll do for my birthday this month. I'm trying to figure out what we're doing. And that might be what we do. We just piss off my them and be like, it's his birthday, shut up! But Alright, well, uh, for folks tuning in for the first time, we do a formatted show that normally opens up the review. This week would be something different. Uh, then we talk about uh, favorite character we're playing or character lesson that we've learned through, through role-playing. Uh, then we talk about projects that we're working on, uh, projects that we're not working on that are coming out or have just come out. Uh, then we do D&D 5e news, or yeah, no, Pathfinder, Starfinder news, then D&D 5e news, then other RPG news, then like other media. Uh, then we do uh, Kickstarters, and then it's whatever John wants to talk about. And today, we're going to be doing something special that I want to do every week, hopefully. We're going to play uh, Munchausen and have Savannah Broadway join us for uh, fourth player. So if you never played Baron Munchausen, or if you're a fan of storytelling, stick around for that. It should be about 8.30ish. Uh, Eastern time, but and I am a little sick today. I will be yeah. joining, but I will not be drinking. Um, but I will be there because you want this. Uh, and like I said, uh, this week we're not doing a review because Christina didn't get us something in time. So uh, I do actually because we got cut off last time. Her, her laptop died. Yeah, her laptop I had a bunch of questions out. about her class because she is a professor at Winthrop University, and she taught a class called Writ Three Eleven, Writing Narrative for Tabletop Role Playing Games, where her students actually like put together uh, like a a full tabletop role-playing game book, uh, including a, like a small campaign setting and an adventure. It's called Ravensburg, uh, which is just freaking awesome. What do you think about that, John? Were you aware that she did this? Is this in the know? No, but that sounds amazing. Like right. when I went to school, I had to take classes like you know, like Psych 101. Um, I got to take up Normal Psych, which was pretty cool. Yeah. But uh, there were always those courses that you could never fit into your course load. That was like, oh man, what's this uh, history or English of science fiction and fantasy? 
and you would argue with your uh, career advisor for hours, being like, no, I need this to graduate. They'd be like, no, nah, you don't need this to graduate. <laughs> See, I, I got stuff. I got a course on science fiction literature, and it was also video. So, like, I actually, for one assignment, had to watch an episode of Doctor Who. Uh, it was pretty cool. But um, also, I also got, I took an entire course on Tolkien um, from an English, like, literature professor, like, and she was really into it. Um, so we actually get to discuss, like, different themes and stuff and that, and, like, actually, like, go into, like, his background and whatever. I got to do a whole, like, paper on the, what was it, the ansexual dimorphism within Tolkien, talking about, um, how elves and dwarves represented masculine and femininity within a context of a, you know, a, a postmodern world, and, like, yes, I, I wrote this th term paper, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a thing. The capstone paper for my entire academic career, which is only three years because I had finished a whole year before I went in because I didn't want to spend a ton of money because I went for film studies and I knew pretty early that I wasn't going to work in the film industry. Um, but the title of it was uh, Pulp Fiction Americana Shot Through... Uh, what was it? Oh, no, no, I can't remember the title. Son of a bitch, Mike. That was your big favorite. But it was all about how uh, like Pulp Fiction was a French New Wave film. Ah, cool. Yeah. And uh, that wasn't the paper I cared about. The paper I cared about was in the film comedy class. And it was basically about how South Park was a form of hyper satire mm -hmm. and how mm -hmm. you can read animated series and their popularity and like prevalence uh, throughout history. And like, if you not, not like, I mean, obviously you have to switch mediums, animated yeah, series, yeah. right? But um, yeah, like the, you can measure that. That is a measure of the discontent that uh, a public has with itself. Interesting. And yeah, like first you have The Simpsons, right? And that's well, I don't now. This isn't the place for it, but yeah, like I'm totally fucking right. I saw uh, <laughs> somebody got to do this as their thing, which pissed me off. Uh, but yeah, the, the whole article, which was incredibly uh, popular, was was exactly my thesis. I was like, Son of a bitch. <laughs> but all right, um, so Mike, instead of a product yeah. review, what are you doing this week? We're, well, I asked her a bunch of questions. Oh, that's right. That's right. You, I, sorry. Yeah, I was giving you a lead in there. So. Uh, she teaches at Winthrop University, which is in Rock Hill, uh, South Carolina. And again, her name is Christina Styles. Uh, her publishing outfit is Misfit Studios, I believe. Is it right? I think so. Um, so yeah, uh, the first semester she had, because she's run this twice now, uh, 16 students, three of which who opted out. And in the newer one, she's got 19 students, uh, one of which had to drop. Uh, the student who won the proposal vote, like, so they, well, they voted to decide who was going to be doing what. Like, they did pitches that were voted on the remainder of the project's patrons. The winning page, pitch moved forward. And uh, just in case, because she kind of knew that everyone would vote for their own proposal, she had everybody vote twice. And it came down to a tie, uh, which she had a freelancer friend uh, who works at the university break it in, a, nice. like, a blind look at the proposals. Um, all told, they wrote 44,000 words together, Fantastic. which comprised the mini setting and the adventure. Yeah, that's a lot. And um, they've got a student artist named uh, Joshua Hollis, who since graduated, uh, but he, he handled a lot of the art stuff. So, uh, what else? What else can we say about this? Each one had to write something like 5,000 words, like only 3,000 or so per for the actual project, but 5,000 words for additional like examinations and um, like a peer interview. So, like, uh, that's the minimum they had to do for like the freshman writing 101 course. I thought that was low. I asked her, I was like, that yeah. seems like 3,000 words. Like, I... I I actually never took any creative writing courses, so I 
am a poor measure of it, but I remember people complaining about doing much more than 3,000 or 5,000 words for their classes, you know? Let's say uh, 3,000 words is a evening for me. Yeah, yeah, like that's that's the minimum standard for Paizo designers. They're expected to produce about 3,000 words a day. I do. Yeah. Um, wow. Let's say I, I have done creative writing classes. Those were cool. We, uh, we got to, we actually at one point moved our creative writing classes out to a local, like, coffee and tea house where they just let us set up. It was great. Sure. Yeah. No, I'm sure, but I was just not, I don't know. I'm, I'm a weirdo loner asshole. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, I asked if she had to submit it multiple times before they greenlit it. She said no, only one time, actually. Very cool. They were looking for another creative writing option, um, and the curriculum committee approved it. Um, they haven't shown any greater interest, so like, there's no no like demand at the university to make like a game designer uh, course set. Please no. I, mm. As someone who did that, please no. I don't know, man. Like I'm... I Here, I learned a lot from my undergrad in it, and I could run a rapid prototyping class, and I would love it. Um, no, I mean like a narrative game design course. No, I get it. Like, I get um, it. But the thing is, though, the you could do it at like Ithaca or one of those and places. You don't need it. it. You don't need it. You just need to go right. You need. You need some basic. Yeah, honestly, it would be better if you just went it. did it. Um, you need to go ahead and make. You need to go release twenty things and go and get and get that ugly feedback. That's what you need to do. Well, yeah. I mean, if it had existed before, I would have thought to do this before my wife told me to. You know, like I would have been, I would, I would have started when John started earlier. Actually, I would have started the freshman year of my college, right? The, um... So on the one hand, I can see how that's kind of cool and sort of an eventual probability, but like I said, I lived that for four years. It, yeah. it's not, it's not as good as it it should be. Um, even the good game design programs are. Debatable. And the industry ceiling is pretty low. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, like, it's not, you're not going to be living on the street. But if you're working at, like, a, a top game design company, you're looking at probably capping out somewhere in the 60, 70K range. If you're uh, really lucky and if you're in really Maybe more demand. if you lead. Um, yeah. They well, no, I'm, I'm thinking, like, like, after you've been in the biz for, like, 30 years working still that, working in an where, office, that's you where, know? Where, that's, where, that's where it ends. You, yeah, you that's something. Production role. Which is good. And my dad's an electrician. Get, he pulls in more than that. You I'd know? say you can get a you can get into a production role and you'll get a little bit more than that. But still, even then, even a lead designer in a big AAA studio is not getting much. And yeah. it is such a fierce competition that again, I've worked on some projects in that industry. It is an ugly industry, man. Um, I would not recommend jumping into it. I would recommend saving your money, working a, a nine to five for a while, and producing some stuff. And then, if it catches on, then go that direction. But not a moment before. Anyway, uh, I also asked. Sorry, what? It can be pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, I asked if it was like pass, fail, or graded. And she said it was graded. Uh, they student could use one of their four SU options on it. I have no idea what an S slash U option is. Uh, to take the class that way. I guess that means pass, fail, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a few of them did. Uh, she used the English department's regular rubric for writing quality determined grades. Uh, she clearativity, clear and concise writing, and evidence of editing. Uh, they are getting paid for their writing. Cool. Um, so that's awesome, right? I like that part. Um, yeah. And one of them at least is going to self-publish on DMCL. 
Awesome. Nice. Uh, well, most of that's awesome. Yeah. Sorry, he's going to go to the MCL for reasons we'll, <laughs> we'll touch upon later. But um, I asked what kind of books were in the curriculum. Uh, she said, first, it, first class is Pathfinder Core and then some sample Cobalt Press materials, which she got permission from Wolfgang to distribute. Um, and then they need to samples note their writing. Uh, they had no gaming experience. Uh, many of them who had never actually seen a gaming supplement in the with it. So. Uh, yeah. So then this past semester, it was the 5e PHP in the Midgard campaign setting, and then the Cobalt game, uh, Guide to Game Design as the textbooks. I was actually going to say that would be the one I would suggest. Yeah. That would be the, the, uh, the obvious choice, yeah. I, I really like the Cobalt I'd probably make him read the history of uh, the game. The, the one that came out, was it last year or the year before? About the history of, like, not just... It wasn't just D&D. It was, like, all tabletop role-playing games. It won a couple innings, didn't it? Oh, Designing and Dragons? I think that might have been, yeah. Designing and Dragons, yeah. Man, we, we should that's write right, one of those books a, someday. That's a four-volume set. Oh, my God. Jesus, I didn't know it was that big. Good Lord. Maybe not the uh, whole thing, then. <laughs> well, it covers, like, 1970s. Yeah. And it talks about, like, Chainmail and um, all the... all the, the the things that started it. Yeah, it I would talks probably... a lot about work start there. I'd want them to know, like, the, the history and genesis of tabletop role-playing games. The rest of it, I'm sure, is very interesting and valuable, but not essential as for So we were talking about papers we've written. At one point, I wrote the history of uh, tabletop games starting all the way back at um, Little Wars by H.G. Wells, which is yeah, going to be the first uh, tabletop army game. Yes, it is that H.G. Wells, too. It's kind of cool. He hoped that, um, that World Nations would actually use that to fight real wars. Yeah. <laughs> he was really hoping to catch on, and uh, you know it didn't, sadly. But that that was my uh, that was my basis. By the way, that was one well, of the major inspirations for when we released that game, Free Wars, Free Wars, Little Wars. It... That that's kind of how international geopolitics is played on a higher level. It's yeah. all like by simulation. Like if we did this and they did this and this happened and that happened and then do we nuke? Okay, send in the troops to down. Like, kind of like robot jocks. If you think about it, where it's yeah. sort of like. Uh, how do we how do we settle this fighting over oil off of Alaska? All right, we're gonna play uh, Warhammer. Uh, we're gonna play Warhammer <laughs> Classic. Let's say seventh edition. Uh, I'm gonna bring chaos. Uh, you can bring whatever you want. Yeah. The um. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna break out whatever hasn't been updated the most recently. Um. Let's see. Um. But no, that that's just fascinating to me. Uh. That he had that. But he was a really interesting guy. He looks at what he like. What he put out, I really dug his, like, mindset for a lot of things. A lot of it didn't come to pass, but it, it was kind of a really cool utopian future he had in mind. What's more peaceful than, um, instead of actually getting 10,000 of your countrymen and sending them off to possibly die, than getting, like, 10,000 of your countrymen together for, like, beer and pretzels? You're like, all right, this weekend, we Germany. All right, we know the strategies, we know what's going on, we're going to win it this time. <laughs> And you better huh. bring your dice blocks, Raul. I know you. I know you have them. You keep forgetting them. We're not letting you borrow this time. I can't believe we lost to Al Qaeda. Al Qaeda main Hamza. We can't really do anything. <laughs> so, is All there right. anything else from Christina? Yeah, I asked if she uh, reached out to Pazir Watsi. She said she hadn't yet. And then I asked uh, what could be done to spread it around to other colleges. Um, she said that's feasible. Uh, she doesn't have any background in 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 how how exactly to go about it. 
Uh, she's actually still learning how to be a professor, and um, she's only got her master's, I think, or or some such like that. Yeah, only um, her so, master's. Um, yeah. So I actually approached my. Uh, I'm talking with my college right now about possibly teaching. Some also going to be teaching one of their uh, their fencing. I'm going to teach their rapier class. Nice. Um, but very cool. Bailey is up in the air. Um, but I'm also going to be like, yeah, and I do work in this industry. Do you want to pay me to maybe do this? I got to see if it's worth my time to actually do it or if it's just going to be a here, put 400 hours into this and get paid minimum wage. I just, I'm not sure if I want to go that far. Yeah, I got a buddy who uh, he's actually got a sweet cake. He's, he's at Mount Sinai for he's working on his Ph.D. in brain science. And Mount Sinai is distinguished in uh, that they pay the most of any college to their PhD students. And Benji is a very thrifty gentleman, so he's been he's been making bank up in New York City. Uh, and he's like just trying to drag out the program like as long as he possibly can. Yeah, Mount Sinai is actually uh, I've, oh hey Kirk, my dog's back there. Hey buddy. Um, <laughs> Mount Sinai is actually a really great place. My uh, yeah yeah my no it's a solid college. Actually. In their their neuro is the head of their neuroscience department, so it probably runs into Benji from time to time. Uh, well, no, she's actually in the Mount Sinai Hospital, which is affiliated with. Oh, the- well, I know they give him access to an MRI machine because his apartment is like literally like a serial killer, covered in, uh, like graphs of his own brain, because hmm. he just like puts himself in it to scan as often as he possibly can, like whatever reason, <laughs> whatever reason he could come up with, yeah. All right, all right. So, um, so, y'all so yeah, but normally we would do a product review. Instead, we were talking about that. And if you have any questions for Christina about her class, uh, I'm happy to relay them. I'm going to send some more eventually because uh, I do have more questions about it. Just let us know in the Twitch or uh, on the YouTube or what have you. So uh, the uh, next part is um, favorite character or... Uh, favorite character game currently in or character lesson. Yeah. Like I said, I actually got one today. Um, unless, John, unless you want to go first. I can go first, and then uh, I'll, I'll just pick up afterwards. Mike, did I ever, did I tell the 40k one in the Apocalypse game? I don't the orcs? I think I'll, I think I'll talk about that one. This is an interesting lesson in game design. So, there, back when they were running the Lucky 13th uh, campaign, uh, seasonal campaign for Warhammer 40k, um, we were playing... Um, the battle was a for, was 40k apocalypse. There was some ridiculous number of points. It was like 8,000 points or something ridiculous. It was, and there were like 20 people in a in a game store down in Tempe. It was hot. People were stinky. They were. It was great. Um, so I we learned a lesson there that day that not all games are balanced. Not all game modes are balanced. There is definitely an ivory tower path, um, an ivory tower kind of critical path thing going on there. Um, for you guys who don't know, Warmer 40K is a tabletop army game, and Apocalypse is their like epic level version of it, where you can get like giant, big mo- like models like this big in the uh, in the game, and big giant war machines. Things that are worth absurd amounts of points because you build your army out of points. And um, it was orcs versus everybody, orcs and chaos versus everybody else, basically. I think they had a Tau ally, or I don't remember. They had one thing on this on their side. Oh, I think it was Orcs, Tyranids, and Chaos verse. And, um... So I roll in playing Eldar. Now, the Eldar at the time had a unit called a... Called a Viper, I believe it was. Is it the Viper or the Scorpion? 
It's their super the high uh, The big bike with the big uh, shuriken launcher on the back? No, it's it's the it's their basically like super fire. It's like their super fire prism. Their super heavy tank. Oh yeah, that is scorpion. Okay, so the scorpion is um they didn't have a model for it from Forge World yet. But they had put out Imperial Armory, which is their books that these are the stats of, the, of them are released in. So I had to home build a scorpion. So I took a old wave serpent, gave it set, a second set of wings, painted it all crazy. Um, actually got a giant, got a big like a it's called D cannon. Actually bought the heavy weapons team with the D cannon, put it on top. It looked really big and fancy. It was really cool. Um, so I had that, a farseer, and a bunch of fire prisms. Fire prisms, if you don't know, are little fly are flying that little. They're flying tanks, and they can link up together these crystals and put down giant plates of just death. Area of effect death, basically. So, across the table from me is a guy who's playing orcs. This guy has painted his units beautifully. He's playing a, the green wave, a wog unit army that's literally like this thick. Probably like, you put up, like, you, you carry him in with a pizza plate how many units he had. It was absurd. He had something like four or five hundred units on the table. And he was so proud of his army. And turn one, he rolls up and I'm on top of a hill. Now, in Apocalypse, they have things that I like to call dinner plates. They are templates that are about the size of the army he brought. And I had a perfect uh, shot to him. And there's something called D-Damage. D-Damage is instant kill unless you have some kind of invulnerability thing. So I carefully turned one, walked over to his side of the table, went, I'm really sorry, man, and I placed the table over his entire army. <sighs> This poor guy was like, are you kidding me? Well, I still have a chance for it to miss or go butt roll. No, I'm good. And he had to literally, after putting him out, show up, setting up, doing like an hour's worth of thing, remove 85% of his army and two unfortunate Tau Fire Warriors. Um, one of his units survived, because it had some, like, piece of thing. But this guy's face went from two... Oh, and gosh. turn one, and then I hit his, the rest of his units with my fire prisms, and he was just like, I never want to play this game again. Like, I'm sorry, dude. There are no other targets for me to hit. It's turn one. I'm super heavy tank man with plates. That's my strategy. I'm really sorry. So the, the, the gaming lesson is from this is that's not fun for him. That was not fun at all for him. And I felt really bad about it. Um, everybody laughed their asses off because if turn... If turn two had happened, he would have killed me. He would have wiped me out. Um, but that wasn't a fun. That wasn't fun for either of us, actually. I mean, I still got to walk off going, "I killed this many units." Um, but from a, from a from a game design, from a running the table perspective, the person running the table should have gone, "All right, can we not put you next to them?" And I would have been fine with that. I, I know people are some people are really hardcore about their like, "Well, I want to make sure I win the." I'm like, I want to have fun. I want to see the crazy stuff. I want to have a void grenade jump right next to my farseer and miss it by an inch and jump back and hit the guys who threw it and like stuff like that. Like that's fun for me, but that wasn't fun for him. That wasn't fun for anyone. Um, I still get to tell the story about I took. I think we counted. I took out like two hundred something in like one turn. It was great. It was also really miserable for the player. So um, that is the story of me dropping plates on their ass. Um, so, uh, John, you got something? Yeah, um, kind of like, sort of like that where, um, you know, we're, pretty much as you run the character, you kind of feel regret afterwards. Yeah, um, yeah. 
We um where, uh, we were playing a, a game of World of Darkness. Chris, and this was about a couple years ago. Kind of um, and we decided to play Sabat just because there were a couple of newer players. They really wanted to play it. Um, and when you get into vampire, some of the things that really interest people are: well, I want to play the vampire. I want to play you know the assassin vampire, or I'm the the cool serial killer vampire. And it's like okay, whatever. You know, we all cut our teeth. You know, on, on something. Um. I, I was one of the few veterans at the table, so I knew the system and I knew how things worked. And um, we ended up doing, um, we had to do this contest for the local bishop. And uh, the bishops are vampires in the Sabbat who sort of run things. Um, so part of the con our contest was we had to hunt down um, a vampire across the city. And we had to return because that was supposed to be the prize. Now, the other players all, like, you know, they had spent all their points on cars and they'd spent all their points on, like, Machine guns and katanas. Yes, literally katanas. And it's like, I remember that phase too. I mean, you know, hey, they were having fun. But um, I came up with my own plan. And uh, I agreed to team up um, with one of the other players who had made like a brother vampire with one of the others. So they go out and they're, they're talking with the DST and they're just racing across the map and they're like explosions and Camarilla ghouls fighting them. And, you know, they're, they're having like a big underworld fight scene. Nice. So it comes back to me and he says, okay, that took them like an hour. What are you guys doing in the hour? And I, said, I just looked and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. Look at, I look the other character in the eyes. Like, here's how we're going to beat them. And I pulled out a stake and I rammed it through his chest. <laughs> and then when they were coming back with the prize, I made the, the strength checks, by the way. When they were coming back with the prize, I met them halfway and I'm holding that character hostage. <laughs> With a knife, with a little a knife through his throat, and I had done enough damage to take him down nearly all the way to Torp. Um, and so I'm like, no, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna give me the prize, and you're gonna get your brother back, and I'm gonna win the contest. <laughs> I just, both players were just so unbelievably like angry about it, and it was sort of like, what? No, this is Sabat. We're evil vampires. I'm like, I didn't think we were that evil. It's like. You were all about killing humans like five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Murder, 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 murder. Oh, wait, not that evil. And um, I, I admit afterwards, because I heard them complaining about it, and they were younger people, and uh, when I overheard one of them saying, I don't really want to play again, part of me was like, okay, I went too far, because, you know, like you said, it was all about having fun. And that while it does give me like a memorable moment... Uh, it also gives me a memorable moment of me being, you know, just one, like a dick. And it also, it may have actually caused this guy to go, man, I liked gaming, but I didn't like that. Nah, I'm, I'm going to go back to watch the TV, you know, on a Friday night. Ah, let's, let's bring back TGIF. And uh, I was happy to learn later on that the guy joined um, DR, Dystopia Rising. So he, he, he still kept with gaming. So that's really cool. That's good. But I don't think he'll ever play with me again. Or if he does, um, he will try to kill me. Um, the epilogue to that story was, I died so horribly. <laughs> <laughs> How'd that happen? Well, uh, they uh, let me, we did the exchange. I got back there. I actually had tricked them because um, I had also claimed I put like C4 on the guy. The C4 literally turned out to be a box of clay and a <laughs> That's awesome. So I win the prize. I get, all, I get all the awards. And then literally as we leave the Haven, maybe we walk like just down the street and they're both like, yeah, I, I, I pull my double eagles on him the other guy's like yeah i'm popping claws i'm attacking him right here it's like oh but you're in the middle of the street people are watching yeah they're gonna watch us kill him <laughs> they're gonna watch and they're gonna they're gonna know fear 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, there was, there was no escape for me. I fought back, I did some damage, but uh, no, they, they, uh, they destroyed me. So, so here's the thing that always uh, interests me, is um, how, how games handle party composition. It's like, a lot of games you have the, alright, I'm gonna be the face, you be the skill monkey, you be the beaten stick, uh, you be the other beaten stick, and you be the healer. Um, but some systems are just like, yeah, you do what you want, you kind of take your own approach to things, and you can be really combat-oriented, or you can be really skill, but they don't really have, they don't really expect you to kind of mix that, they're just like, do what you want. Uh, like, Mutants and Masterminds is much more like that, Savage Worlds is much more like that. Um, mm -hmm. but like D&D and D20 is much more, find your niche and go play in it. Um, and that's unfortunate when the social character goes up against the, uh, the martial character in the, um, in a game that's very, like, a tactic simulator, you're like, all right, I make a diplomacy. He cuts off your head. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. You know, <laughs> what, what options do you have? I can die like a little wuss or I can run away like a little wuss. But I, I tried to use diplomacy in an L5R D20 game. This was a long time ago when they did D20. Um, you know, uh, otherwise known as the addition that never happened. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, I played a courier. I played a, a Tortoise Clan courier. And uh, we ended up getting in combat, and the guy running the game was running more similar to traditional D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was like this uh, big ogre with, like, a giant Tetsubo. And um, I looked at my stats, and I was sort of like, oh, I have a I have a sword, but I only have, like, a plus one to hit at all. <laughs> and so I tried to do a diplomacy check just to try to make convince him not to hit me. And I succeeded. And so I, I stopped him for one turn. And then the next turn, I failed, and he's like, uh, no, your convincing argument fails to make the ogre stop hitting you. So he hits you once. Take 16 points of damage. That was almost twice my health. Yeah, I'm gone. <laughs> that was a splat. <laughs> that, that's the, I'm, I'm a paste spread across the ground as if by a knife dragging butter across bread. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was trying to do this convincing argument about how the ogre should actually fight for us. It just, uh... That second turn, my convincing argument apparently turned into, but my face is pretty hittable. I agree. You have a hittable so face. So that's the problem with social things in a, in a system like that, where it's not like, it's, it's a tactic simulator, but you also have social on the side. The problem is social either becomes OP as hell. You can just be, I can convince you of this blatant lie, you know, or just it's, it's a non-factor, you know what I mean? It's an after the fact or how you avoid combat, you know what I mean? Which in a tactic simulator, you're rewarded for partaking in combat. So, a good GM, though, I always feel like, um, will still reward players for overcoming an encounter, is how I always describe it. How many, like, fights have you guys been in, like, in real life? Because um, I can tell you from a personal experience that diplomacy checks during fight are very, very difficult in real life. So, here, when I've been in fights, they've ended up with, oh, it's, it's the occasional, you know, random shot that comes at you. But a lot of men with, all right, man, stop, lay off, lay off, you know what I mean, like that. And that's that's not really diplomacy, but that's also a, all right, you worked out your system, get the hell out of here, you know? That's fights I've been in. That's fights I've never had to get broken up, man. Like, yeah, restraining occurs. But anyway. Yeah, I've never actually been successful in convincing someone to, like, like in middle school. I'm like, uh, hey, can you mind not throwing this table at me? You're gonna throw your back out, and then I, your tracky health is more important. So I, I can my... actually, I can actually tell you guys a time when I, I rolled a one, then a twenty on the diplomacy check in real life. It's like three a.m. We're at 
two, my, myself and two of my friends are at Carl's Jr. in this really not nice part of town. And um, this guy behind us is like 280, 300, big heavyset dude, tattoos everywhere, a little tear tattoo here, shaved head, and um, he is tweaking on something. And he decides to sit down at our little four square table, like right next to us like this. And we're just sitting there like, hey buddy, what's up? I mean, do you want to, it's a free country, I can sit here. And we're just like, all right. Well, we started talking for a few minutes, and he's like, I kill people. And we're like, oh, okay. And he's like, "Like, can you, can you move? We're, we're having a business discussion. And he's like, no, no, we got to. I got, it's a free country. I'm like, oh, it's a free country. We're going to move over here. And he starts eyeing the other people in the, move, the place. And I, so I go back over, and I'm going to, he's, he's talking to, like, some of the younger girls who are there. And I walk over, and this old couple, and I'm like, hey, I'm Scott. How are you? Yada, yada. I'm talking, trying to, trying to, trying to be the bard, you know, I'm trying to talk. And after about a minute of talking, I go, so what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm a student. What do you do for a living? And he goes, I kill people. I'm like, all right. He goes, and he starts talking really, like, anxiously. And finally, I get, he goes, I get up to the point, all right, well, it's a pleasure talking to you. And he goes, pick one of your friends. I'm going to kill them as soon as you walk outside. I'm like, I rolled a one. Great. So we go over to the, the table I'm sitting at. I go, guys, hi. So he's going to kill one of you guys. Good news. And he's like, they're like, what did you tell him? I'm like, I don't know. I tried not to. So I see him walking over to the table, and it's actually this weird, like, it's one of those, like, plastic seat ones, but it was near the end, so there was actually only one seat on one side and two on the other, and I was on the one side, so he kind of boxes me in, but as soon as he walks over, I had already gone like this, and I dialed up on my phone 911. And, I pre and as soon as he walks over, I press speaker, and I go, I go, and he's like, all right, which one is it? Which one do you want to kill? I'm like, look, man, I already called 911. Um, you have the option of getting out of here ahead of time, and they probably won't catch you. Hello, this is 911. Please state the nature of your emergency. And he's like, you called him? I'm like, yeah, right here. And I hold it up, and he's like, all right, I'll see you guys outside. And he leaves. And I'm like, nat 20! <laughs> so we didn't die that night. That was great. But was he waiting for you outside? He said, no, he was not waiting for me outside. Yeah. But we did not uh, go outside to check. <laughs> Hey, I get free food out of that one. Because the people were like, thank you. We were pretty sure he was going to kill someone. We're like, yeah, it was going to be us. Thanks. I get my he free... was just really proud of what he does for a living. I mean, I, you know, I guess. I I'm a writer every five minutes. So. Yeah. Hey, guys, did you know I murder people? Yeah, man. I, I work at like a... Let's say, I, I write? Awesome, man. High five. Let's go celebrate our, pro our positive identities in life. I like this. And then I go for the high five, and it's actually a knife he's jammed into my hand, and it's like, oh. <laughs> oh, when he walked up to us, one of our friends was a blonde, and he just goes, Hitler. And we're like, great. This is going to be an engaging conversation. So, uh, Mike, um, what yeah, do you got? Uh, well, I want to say that GKG Allen has, has joined us. Uh, oh, and John knows him somehow. So, yeah, thank you. Uh, my friend Alan. Hey, Alan. Um, you asked me to talk about Papius and uh, the Conan role-playing game. Yeah, because he, he, he did a good review on his Facebook about it. I'm like, man, that's a that's something we should talk about on the show. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll put the link in the YouTube description, but I played uh, one shot. And uh, ultimately, I, did, I, didn't, I don't think it's, it's a system for me for a couple of reasons. 
Uh, but like on the whole, it was solid and it felt felt not unlike the the Conan movies, you know, uh, the originals, not the like newer Conan, which is a little bit off. Yeah, off key. I thought. I don't know. Uh, but quick rundown of what I thought was uh, was erroneous. Uh, there are six kinds of hit points, and that just feels oh. silly to me. Like, why do you need six kinds of hit points? I, 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 by the time I wrote the review, I'd even forgotten what one of the kinds of hit points was. It was like mental hit points, mental wounds, fear hit points, physical hit points, physical wounds, and then some other kind of hit point. Um, and like, why? That's so many hit points. Like, what's the point? Like, I know that you have to make combat very interesting because magic is not going to be a focus of the Conan game, right? Barbarians didn't show the swords. But, yeah, not for me. Um, and then it had a, a volleying dice mechanic, like uh, the Force die in Edge of the Empire uh, called, here it was Momentum and Doom. So the whole system is based around 2d20, right? Uh, you want to roll a 1, you want to roll low. Whenever you roll a 20, you get a complication. Ah. Um, much like, you know, whenever you roll a complication in, in the narrative dice game, like uh, the Edge of the Empire of Fate. Uh, so you can succeed and suffer a complication, you can fail and suffer a complication, um, you can do either without suffering complication, but you end up doing a lot of rolls. So on average, in uh, one minute of combat, each round I would have a 50% rolling of com- uh, chance of rolling one complication because I'm going to roll three times or twice to attack and then three times to defend, and each time I'm going to be rolling at least 2d20. So each one has like a 10% chance. So you're, you're likely to get a, a ton of complications. And, like, you can also buy complications, so, like, to add extra dice to a roll, up to, you can roll up to 5d20 once. Uh, you spend a momentum. Whenever you spend a momentum, the GM gets a doom point, and then they try to save up the doom points for the final boss battle, and then they, like, ramp up and use its abilities. And the only way that a monster can start first in a round of combat is if you spend doom for them to start first. So, um yeah, I don't know. I just find those to become adversarial relationships, and when yeah. there's always a chance that I'm going to suffer, even when I succeed, I don't want to roll if I can avoid rolling. It just gets me... like I decided that the next time I play in a Ravenloft for 5e, that's I'm, I'm just going to include complications like that. Where like every time you roll, there's a chance that you're just going to get screwed because it's Ravenloft. And that... like Because the fear I feel as a player doing that is way more than anything I got from playing in Ravenloft. So, like, perfect fit. And, and then that's that's the aesthetic for Ravenloft is... Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you're uh, supposed to have that, oh, God, I did the thing, duck and cover. And I've been assured by other people that, like, as you get up in character levels, there are ways to avoid uh, complications and stuff. But, like, I don't know, as a basis, I, that has, it was rough for the one-shot, like, free RPG day uh, game that, that was run that I was in. Um... What else? No, there, was a, there was another game that was like that, where um, I want to say it's like Cortex system, where after a certain point, there's so many complications in a scene that if you can avoid making any kind of rolls or adding any more complications, then that's the way to go. Because at the very beginning, you want to hit things hard and fast, but as it goes on, the scene, like, it just hit a haywire. Uh, I was in a gunfight that lasted for like seven rounds, and then by the end of it, it was, there's no way I can win. There's, there's so many complications on the board right now. I, I, all of the stuff I started, as it turns out, like, uh, yeah, I, it, as, as an option, like I enjoy the fact that there is a risk associated with it, but I feel like I should be able to participate that or not. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I just want to fail or succeed and like, just let that be it. Mm-hmm. You know, having it always be present definitely 
definitely wigs me out way hard. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, like, the, it really felt like they were pushing hard to make combat feel involved, and it did. Uh, you will be entertained just swinging a sword and stuff. You don't just, like, because with D&D with &D and, and other Vancian spellcasting uh, systems, it often feels that way. Like, you just get overshadowed by the mage pretty quickly. Um, yeah. I don't think that it's going to happen playing Coco. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm glad that people dig it. Uh, just it wasn't my bag, I don't think. And I'd house rule a lot of stuff if I were playing again. So, um, next up, we got, um, let's see. Favorite, Favorite working pro projects. Yeah, Mike, what, looks like you got something here. What do you want? Yeah, I finished that got, path, the Pony Finder edit, uh, which is great. Uh, it was, it's going to be called, unless they change it, it's going to be called Tactics of Everglow. It was like 90,000 words or something. Only? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> I really need to talk to him about getting a style guide or something because it was uh, like invisible tables. Um, I could go on and on. It was, it was a, I spent three days just formatting all the text to be like the right size and stuff. But uh, it's over, and I'm really pleased because it was it was it was uh, I I lost my momentum about halfway through. Yeah. So because July fourth, and I hadn't considered. Every time Stephanie has the day off, I basically only get like six hours of work done after she goes to bed. So I know how that is. Yeah, I love her, but uh, I need to do things. I'd say my wife uh, is yeah. off uh, work for she's a teacher. She's off for a few months. And I, I realize my, my work goes, like, from here to, like, here as, when, when she's in the room. So she is yeah, awesome, and she sits in the other room and You want to spend work. time and stuff, and it's really hard to say no. Yeah. It's really hard to say no. Um, and then you, you feel guilty for saying no. It's terrible. Uh, but uh, the book itself is cool. There was a lot of cool stuff in it. There was, like, a... Uh, it wasn't such such a central focus on ponies this time, uh, which I... I, I found refreshing and enjoyable. Uh, Big Mal was one of their races, so there's like a bear race, basically like Berenstein Bears. I know that they might be upset for me making that comparison, but that's the only thing I could think of every time I was reading about the Big Mal. I was just thinking like <laughs> Berenstein Bears rolling around. Um, and yeah, it was like all the countries and, and nations that are not the like Pony Finder centric place. That's kind of cool. Human place. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was a cool expansion. And um, what was the, oh, the thing that stuck out was the Elementalist, which is as it sounds, right? Um, you, you summon like elementals and in the 5e version uh, it was it was innovative because there's nothing quite like that in the 5e version you know like there's a summoner right in Pathfinder uh, but for 5e no equivalent and they, 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 they some of it was whack but we I think I think what, what's what the final product will be will be solid and a lot of the ideas in there were really good too so I'm looking forward to that and um, I know I'm sure all the Pony Finder people will, will rave and lose their shit over it it's a good book so, John, what do you got for us? Well, we just wrapped up um, a lot of work on the Infinity Core book, um, which has um, been taking a while, but I, I'm pretty pleased with it. Um, yeah, we've been working on that for about a year and a half now. Oh, wow. Um, that's what we did, It's based off the um, the miniature game, Infinity, the miniature game, um, which is pretty cool. Um, um, and no, that's, that's been taking a lot of my time. Because that was a hefty chunk, but it's pretty cool. Um, I got to write um, the Ariadna faction, which Ariadna is like 21st century Earth in this far future. Okay. And it's got uh, werewolves, and it's got this faction of super Americans, 
is how I could fully describe it. They're literally called U.S. Ariadna, <laughs> and they are in, in the far future. They they are the most American of all Americans. Um, America. <laughs> but they were a blast, um, especially since you know um, there's like they have a town of Deadwood, which has become their version of like American like culturalism. So people walk around Deadwood with six shooters and wearing Stetsons. Whereas people from like neighboring provinces walk in, they're relatively, you know, twenty they're twenty second, twenty first century clothing. Like, yes. what's going on? This is so weird. They're like, Well, howdy pilgrim, how you doing? Like, Who are you? <laughs> no, stop boy. it. No, stop it. But, uh, <laughs> but uh no, just, uh, I've got a lot of uh a lot of things on my plate at the moment. Uh, a lot of it pretty cool. Um other things we just I just wrapped up, um, Empire's Reign, uh, with Third Eye Games. Um that's where we finally get to the source book I've been wanting to do for years, which uh, we did um, the Empire, like the factions of the Empire itself. Nice. And I think it was really cool. I got to um, bring out my beloved Golden Lions, which um, if you ever want like a color palette to know where I've been in the game universe, look for black and gold. Hmm. It tends to be my MO, oddly enough, like my favorite color combo. But um, yeah, that was a blast too. I, then, I just um, I just wrote a faction for some for this project I can't talk about that is pink and gold and it is a, it is wonderful it's like hot pink and gold I I like it and it fits your personality it involves gnomes so nice and then um uh, I've got a project I can't talk about too but um it's coming up soon I'm actually working on it um with my friend Alan Bear um we were hoping to announce it at Gen Con but um unfortunately um you know we lost uh, Stuart Stuart Wyatt who was Big from the project and helping us, and um, very, very unexpected and very, very tragic. But um, no, that, that project will come out later. But um, uh, it, you know, uh, losing Stuart was a big loss for both of us. And um, you know, it, like I said, uh, so unexpected. And I know there were just so many people who were so broken up over it. Yeah, that's it's always. It's always sad when that happens. Mm-hmm. It was around this time last year that Steve. Yeah. Uh, I was just Steve I was just thinking about that. Yeah. Uh, Alan wanted to point out that his the H in his name is silent. It's Alan Barr. Ah. Yeah. I, you know you've also heard me say like Eloy the Santa. Well, he'll listen to this later and go, "It's a lie." <laughs> so um, you've known me eight years. <laughs> so I'm sorry, well, Alan. So um, what, what I got on my plate, um, I actually had a really, really cool uh, discussion, thanks to James Gray, with a very large company that holds a very important license, and we're sending, we we got the, yeah, that's really cool, send us something. And I'm like, well, I can do an RPG adaptation of that? Okay. I So that, I've been working on that frantically, and we're going to have a big meeting this Sunday with, with all hand on, on deck for it. Um, it... I, I can't say what it is, but it's something that you've seen, every one of you. And if Very we get the license, there will be a Kickstarter in two months, man, I swear. Um, but You got the the license for the NFL role-playing game. Yes. <laughs> and I will be including NFL Super Pro, the greatest Marvel character that you've never uh, heard of. Yes! I love Super Pro! <laughs> so my, my mom, for some reason, tried to get me into sports when I was a kid. And she's like, look, honey, it's, it's, a, it's a sports league superhero. And I'm like, yay, great. And she kept bringing me the issues. 
<laughs> and I'm like, oh man, who's this guy he's fighting? There's exploding footballs. Yeah, that's that's cool, mom. That's cool. So if you guys don't know who NFL Super Pro was, a short summary is he is like the most American American ever. He'd fit right in your uh, in, in your setting. Um, he was given experimental football armor, and he runs around <laughs> saving the day. It, and it was a joint venture between the NFL and I think it was Marvel, right? Um, yeah, Andy Eagle. Philadelphia Eagles. Yep, it, it, it was Eagles. it was pretty bad. Um, but that all that those type of unions are really cool because you got Rom Space Night and US One that came out of things like that. But anyway, anyway, so the project I'm working on right now is still the Monster Races book. Um, we basically took classical D and D monsters and anthropomorphized them. Um, this started because at one point in one of our books we wrote the playable Tarasklings, which are literally. It, something fell off a Tarrasque and grew into a thing, um, into a humanoid thing. So people were really psyched about it, so we started making an entire book on it. So we have, like, uh, Neolithid folk. We have, um, what do we have? Chimera folk. Half Sphinxes. Um, God, we have lots of them. But anyway, there, there's a lot of really fun stuff in there. And one of the things I want to talk about is, hey, we got Jacob Blackman for it. Um, I haven't used yeah. him actually, but I uh, reached out to him. I'm like, you know he what? Does. I got a little bit of a budget. Let's see what I, I can have him do. I only need uh, two pieces from him, but that's it's pretty much done. We wrapped on every on every on one of our editing passes last night. Um, and well, it's always fun to give Jacob work because like you you don't really have to give him a great deal of context. You can just give him the copy because he's yeah. a gamer. Like, he knows exactly what it's supposed to look like because he's a gamer yep. and a gaming artist. So, like, yeah, I don't know. So, I always like recommending Jacob. Yep. So, I actually, we have a stock, like, art fill-out form that we send people, but I also link them to the do the actual documents. Um, mm -hmm. I reprinted, like, the physical description section for him and gave him the art. Oh, references. yeah, it's still good to give him, like, yeah, an yeah. art order, but, like, but it's, he, he gets was, a, he's he way more intuitive it. about it than your average artist would be. Oh, definitely. That's a huge advantage for him. Um, and we're, we're having some fun with that. There's a few minor things, like there's a racial feat. I'm not happy with them, one or two of them. Everything has feet support. Uh, we got a, uh, what is it? Let's say, um, there were some that we had to cut. Like, I wanted to do Jabberwocky folk, but I didn't have a chance to. Um, I still may write that if we have time. Oh, the Zorf is my favorite. The Zorf is, you know what bilateral symmetry is? Like this, like it splits you down the center. Well, we have a, a trilateral symmetry dwarf, so it's had three faces. Um, it's it's for some reason a dwarf and a Zorn decided to get down and dirty. Um, oh yeah, you talked you talked about this one before. Yep. You so about we, I actually finished writing it up this week, and I am very excited about how unfortunately wonderful it is. <laughs> like he has like a ring of like beard. Um, looks like a collar, like stuff like that. Um, so that, yeah, that's what I got. That's what I got going on. Um, well, I'm the only one that listed anything in our favorite projects that are not ours. Um, yeah, I, I got nothing the... that I want to like really pimp out. I have one. Good. Uh, what, what what is it? All right. So I mentioned um, working with um, Nocturnal Media. Yeah. Uh, uh, very briefly. And um, actually, I know that they've got one of the last projects that like Stuart Wyack actually worked on. Kickstarter uh, relatively soon. It's about next Tuesday. And it's really cool. I think it sounds really great. Um, it's called Paladin, um, Warriors of Charlemagne. Oh, cool. And you take on the role of like a French knight. 
Um, and it, it's really cool. Um, I, I've already butchered Alan's name. I'm going to butcher one of his writers who's on it uh, <laughs> because I actually wrote it down to try to pronounce it out. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just going to say it's Ruben um, T. Bru- I apologize to you, advance, Ruben. I apologize. Ruben T. Bruin. So is, and, it, uh, is it like Stafford. Crusades or is it fantasy? Uh, more like Crusades, um, but it looks really cool. Um, mm-hmm. It's still very fantasy. Um, it's very similar to the um, that's your Pendragon. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, and you said it's got it's going to be in like two weeks. Yeah. Uh, no, next week. Next week. Oh, so it's probably what Tuesday next week. Mm-hmm. Oh, and you said it's based. Uh, Alan said it's based on Pendragon. Yeah. And it, it, it's pretty cool. Um, I've gotten to see what the cover looks like. Um, and uh, it, it sounds like it's an amazing project. So it'll be on, on Kickstarter. Pretty cool, cool. Um, yeah, I was just going to say the Genius Guide to the Talented Beast Theory, which is doing awesome, I guess. It's number one Pathfinder product and the number seven product overall on DriveThru. Um, the talented line of stuff is basically uh, like a point buy, a miniaturized point buy system. Um, so if you're going to make a monster and you know you want it to be a dragon, you can sort of simplify the way you go about creating it uh, with with these these rules. Well, simplify and expand, obviously. Uh, they're neat, honestly. It's a good book, and it's huge. It's like 400, 400 some pages. So if you're keen on a new kind of Pathfinder bestiary or just a new Pathfinder bestiary, uh, definitely something to check out. That mm-hmm. one is from Rogue Genius Games. Yep. Uh, what is it? Oh, 27, 28 bucks for the PDF and then 60 bucks for the hardcover, but that's because it costs a lot to print those hardcovers. Yeah. Uh, Varanth is about that long and it costs 30 bucks, I think, just to keep, just the ink and glue and, and, and stuff. It, just, yeah, they're really expensive. Yeah. Well, it's not an offset print, and the bigger the book gets, the more expensive it's going to yeah. get for not doing offset. And, uh, all right, and Scott, you sure you don't have anything? Well, I, I don't want to talk – again, I like using that spot only if I really am like, yeah, there you go. So I'm going to hold off this week until – I want to give you guys good news, not meh news. All right, all right. So Pathfinder and Starfinder news and speculation. As always, uh, we will begin this section with the link to the Google document where somebody has been collecting all of the Starfinder updates and releases and stuff. I don't want to see how big it is now. I want to say it's probably going to be like 70-some pages at this point. Um, And there have been a lot more releases they've talked about. More of the Iconics. They've explained how hacking is going to work and uh, etc. on the Paizo blog. So, yeah, nothing nothing major new for Starfinder uh, as opposed to last week, which was a ton of shit. But yeah, um, um, King, King cool. Maker um, Oh, sorry, go ahead, John. It's looking really cool to me. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, I forget, is the book going to be out of Gen Con? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm probably not going to be able to break away from the booth long enough to wait in line, because I remember when Pathfinder came out, and yep. you could have made a lap around the hall uh, waiting to get Pathfinder. But that is a book I'm going to pick up. Um, probably in the PDF, because I use a lot of e-readers. But no, I'm, that's one of those books where... You know, I, I'm kind of sitting and waiting for, for some notification. It's usually one of my friends on Facebook mentioning it. And it's you'll be like, oh, Starfinder's out? No, that's fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think I'm probably going to go through my, my friendly local game store because there's no way they're, they're going to have enough copies of Gen Con. 
Because, uh, well, we'll talk about Gen Con in a bit. But yeah, it's going to be crazy this summer. This summer. Fucking insane in about a month. Uh, and then Kingmaker is done. So I guess we'll talk about it in this section. Scott wants to. Yeah, Tell definitely. us, Scott. So yeah, we got they got 1,800 backers, just shy of a million dollars. 900,000 and nine dollars. Um, 18,000 backers, he means. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah 18,000 backers. Yes. And, um, and just shy of a million, yep. which is uh, quite um, a bit of money. Which means they... They unlocked one of the highest ones, one of the stretch goals, which was a goblin companion who imagines himself to be one of the nascent gods of the goblins, which is freaking hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, he is wonderful, and I know that he's the first person I can... As soon as I can recruit him, I will. Um, he's a sneaky git. He's a, he's a rogue. He collects animals, and apparently you can pay him in trash and stuff. And I kind of love that about him. Um, but yeah, so what the stretch goals they hit were the Magus, the extra story stuff, three archetypes per class, and the social achievements, all backers are getting wallpapers and, and what they called silly cheat codes. So, don't know what that is, but it should be awesome. They're, they're bragging about having over 100 monsters, 10 classes, 10 or more classes, and more than 7 races. And you actually get this cool section where they're talking about, like, the art design. They actually took, broke down all of the style guide for Pathfinder art. They're like, all right, so we want to have all the equipment displayed somewhere on the person. They showed actually where everything goes in the art guidelines for each class. So, like, the fighter, if you have, like, a sword and a dagger and, like, a spear on you, you'll see all three in, like, their proper places on them, as well as, like, all your pouches are hanging in different places. Um, it's really interesting. They gave some visual distinction to each class based on the artwork from uh, some of the Pathfinder books. Um, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, and they actually used art references from like existing Paizo produced stuff to produce them. So you saw like the iconics. They're like, all right, so we took their core rulebook artwork. Here's the Reaper mini. Here's the uh, little Whiz Kids rubbery thing. Here's some other artwork, and we're gonna combine all of them. And here's the ending character model. And it looks just like them. Still, um, now it's gonna be a good game, man. I figured they'd get. Uh, I'm. I. I didn't think they'd break a million. I thought they were gonna go somewhere in like the nine fifty, but nine hundred thousand is nothing to scoff. No, at. not at all. That's a good thing. My only. I take that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my only kind of concern was. So I was on a plane ride from Chicago last weekend, so I had to read all my old uh, emails, and that's why I'm putting this section. They're doing a bit of a thing where they're combining skills into a more streamlined system. Um, and I'm okay with that, I guess. I'm a little... I want to see how far they're going away from Pathfinder. You know what I mean? Yeah, a lot of that's going to be interesting because they can't just use the, the rules as written because that would be illegal. So, like, well, I'm, I'm interested to see what exactly the fix was and I bet you that the skill system is involved in that. I I almost guarantee it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think they mentioned something about this is what they were showing it Unchained. I'm like... Oh, they could use all the Unchained rules is what they could mm -hmm. use. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was probably one of the selling points for making yep. Unchained instead of making Pathfinder 2.0. So I think, I mean, we've discussed in the path, path, past, not past, um, the past, that Pathfinder Unchained seemed like a jumping off point for Starfinder. And if they're able to use, I think they kind of were like, let's make the game 1.5 and just put it over here, put it in our own little bubble and kind of see what happens with it. Um, and I'm kind of excited to see where that come where that goes. I really am. Yeah. Yeah. 
It's going to so, be a sick game. Only got a year to wait. Only. Um, th- how that's going to happen is I'll be sitting there working on something. Bing, you got a, you got a new thing in your Steam yeah. folder. You know, what? Oh, I backed that. That's right, you know. But I'm hoping to see. I hope it's good. Johnny, uh, that happens you? all the time. Yeah. All right. That happened with Chroma um, Squad for me. That's one of the best damn games ever. You guys ever play that one? Chroma okay. Squad, the Suntai one? No. Oh my god, you have played. It is amazing. Well. But anyway. Um, so- D&D 5e news and speculation. Uh, there's the Greyhawk Initiative was the news on North Arcana. We've already talked about that previously. It's uh, Mike Merle's alternative initiative system. Uh, it is supposed to promote uh, faster play. I was skeptical. Scott was also, I think, skeptical. Yeah, skeptical I believe it was it. episode like six or something. I don't know, twelve. Mm-hmm. We're we're we have a lot now. <laughs> um, more interested in talking about plane shift ammo cap because uh, John and I have been chatting about uh, an Egyptian theme theme thing you want to do. So um, yeah, the art is gorgeous, uh, dude. Another one of their like Magic the Gathering slash D and D five E cooperatives, uh, and it's like a. I haven't actually looked at it. It's a 40-page thing, right? Like a 40-page PDF with a bunch of monsters and other stuff for their magic Egyptian setting. And you want to do magic Egyptian things. So did you check it out? or? Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah? It's beautiful. Like, for starters, all the plane ship stuff has been, like, sorely overdue for, like, magic players who also gain because um, the biggest complaint that anyone's ever heard is, well... What if I want into my game? Or what if I want to fight Phyrexians? Um, and I think the decision to make these free is nothing just sort of brilliant because they've already got the artwork. They've got people on staff who can do the layout. And they've got people who are skilled at game design. So it's the fact that they're able to just combine it all together and release a free thing to their fans, especially fans who probably bought minimum $60 in Magic cards for this set and then probably max out like three or four hundred dollars for the set to get everything uh that's just that's great fan support but as as for the actual product um beautiful um it's short but you know i i always want more especially with something i'm digging so when i got to page 40 and i kept hitting like the next button and i'm like huh did my reader break what's going on um and i want i i love ancient egypt um, it's one of my favorite um, cultures and the mythology behind it. Um, that dog's a fan too. Yeah, he um, my, my, my corgi's like, oh man, ancient Egypt, yeah. Um, but no, um, and just this, I, I've been wanting to work on a setting like that for a while, and this setting has only done nothing but just spur that forward. And uh, they did such a great job converting the races. Um, and I love how the storyline, because I I don't keep up with magic anymore. Just because, you know, I, I'm too much of an addict when it comes to cards. But it was nice to be able to read the summary and finding out that, like, Nicol Bolas um, has created this realm where he's tricking all these people into becoming the honored undead for his religion. And but all the cultural stuff they worked in around it, that it's like, no, I, I want to run people through the city. The city trapped in a magical glass keeping up demons. I, um... There's, um the last time I kept it with the lore was uh, Urza Saga, so you can tell how long ago that's been. Yeah, I was just about to say, if Watsi wants to call me up and like write an adventure with Gerard Capuchin and Squee, uh, please, at at any moment, I will give you Captain Sisse out the wazoo, like 
And, and I'll write your Brothers War stuff just fine. I love that stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, There's Revenue a lot of that. Uh, Revenue of X, one of my favorite villains to this day. So, um... My favorite series, actually, was, uh, uh, what was it? Ice Age? It was way back then. That yeah, was, like, what, 3rd or 4th edition? So... And I, I got into the game around 6, so I had to go searching for the cards, but, like, I still have my fucking Necropotence deck. I love it. I, had, I love um, it. All my friends are like, I want to play against Necropotence deck. I spent all weekend working on this thing, like... See, I, I really dug, um, I like Darksteel. I know it sounds weird because there's some really broken things in there. But Darksteel was a fun setting. Um, but also, Urza's Saga was my, was was the thing. It was the first one I came in on. Yeah. And I actually I got read all the lore. Um, it, 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 it started my love of worms. I'm not talking about dragons, guys. I'm talking about your green worms. Um, I had a, a green-blue worm deck, which was, Alright guys, I'm eventually going to get my worms out. You're going to die. And if oh, in the meantime, I'm gonna use my low cost blue cards to keep counterspelling your, your ass. I was too like poor, so I only got to do booster drafts. Like I couldn't even afford like the deck tournaments that like uh, you know they just the, the open ones. Uh, I was just like the occasional booster draft, and at one of them, I managed to get second place at one, which was fantastic. And then another one, I got a standing ovation, not because I, I like won, but I like, got near the top, and I had made a blue counter deck like in hey the man, booster draft and everybody awesome. was like what that was the yeah that was the series where like there were blues where you could change the color type and then all the all the effects and counter stuff and like all that was based on what color type you controlled so you I, just like i had a uh, the worst experience was i got my worms out i was like oh man my friend and this guy just put all these tokens and i'm like i don't care I'll, I'll take them out it won't matter and i was about to beat him he was like he had very low life points left I'm like this and he goes ah i got the card i'm like what card it was like it was semifinals of a tournament. It was on Day of Dragons, which turns every token he has in the field into. I, I remember it was like a three-three flying yeah. dragon, and it just one turn. Dragon I'm like, well, good. Yeah. So that that was my worst. Like, like, and I was a kid at that point. I was like in my teen, like early teens. I'm like, I'm gonna win. And the guy's like, huh, I got the card. Boom. I'm like, I made a guy quit out of a tournament by playing Tranquility on his um, red enchantment damage deck. And the guy literally, like, just in anger, shoved all his cards into, like, his hat, looked at me, and just said, I can't believe I lost this epic tournament because you played a uh, 10 cent card. And I'm like, You were killing everybody with the most annoying deck at this whole tournament. And you're mad because my strategy was, Hey, what if someone brings that deck? I'll bring Tranquility, which destroys enchantments. <laughs> Um, oh. Beautiful, beautiful. And see, that's actually what I like about this Amicad because we just started talking about magic like, yeah. like five minutes, and that's why, like, I I, re I really hope that Watsi A continues to release some plane shiftings, and B, if you're listening, like kind of like how you plugged it several times, like if you need a writer who would work on a, a larger Amicad book, you know, right here. Yeah. <laughs> you have three sacrifices right here, I think. Saying um, like they have the adventures like already ready, like you know. Put, a, put rules to the narrative and you're done. Yep. Yeah. The art's done. You own all the art, guys. Like, this is so simple. Your production costs for this will be somebody to organize it, somebody to edit it, somebody to write it, and somebody to lay it out, and you're done. And when you say like, write, you mean translate it this Or ladies point. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, later, later. so, Greyhawk Initiative, 
You're talking about it? Oh uh, yeah, we already talked about that. Right. So other so RPG, other RPG business. business. Uh, the Star Trek Adventures RPG oh. is available in PDF. Mm. I am a huge, 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 huge Star Trek fan. Um, I've been running a site for. Uh, but there's a site that's been out there for about a decade that I'm an admin on. Um, the one thing I really like that they did with the cover is I haven't read the book yet. I'm I'm, I'm bad. I haven't bought it yet. Um, I've been doing too many other things. It wasn't a pew pew laser fight. That makes me so excited when people in Star Trek don't start off with a pew pew laser fight. Yeah, they had guns, but some guy was scanning something. You know what I mean? It was interesting. It was intrigue, and it wasn't pew pew laser fight. That's not Star Trek. God damn it. Unless you're the Dominion War, and that's there's a reason for that, though. Sorry, it, it upsets me. Well, lady looks like she's about to shoot somebody. Yeah, but she's not. That's the point. It's like there's a um, thing. It looks like 3D art. That's what's got me tripping. Yeah, it does. What's that about? It, I would. Um, I, I. I got to work on this um, very briefly um, at the very beginning because um, uh, I know I work with the Diffius. I know Chris Birch, and um, I remember when he showed me. The artwork. I was visiting London uh, for my mom's retirement trip, and I got to chill with uh, Chris for one evening. And he just wrapped up the email, and he was so excited to show it to me. And he just went on and on about all of his plans he was hoping to do. And, and you know, he was in that moment uh, that we all get into, where you're a game designer and you kind of like, right? Like, oh, and we're we're hoping to do this, and then we're gonna go to the moon, and then we're gonna launch go to Enterprise launch moment. Yeah, and um. But no, he put together a team um, that's uh, all Trekkies. And um, from the beginning, the, the, the guiding thing for design for this game has been this isn't just sci-fi adventures on space. And this isn't just Star Trek either. This is your Trek experience with you in it. And that was what they were trying to do when they were building the game. So they were trying to make it so that uh, it didn't matter if you... Um, only sort of new Trek. They didn't matter if you were like a member of a Klingon starship in real life. Um, which I met that gentleman at Gen Con. He was really, he was really cool. I, I got um, two friends like that, I know. And um, that was the, the whole design thing behind it, where they wanted it to be as true to the setting, but more just like true to the fans. Yeah. And um, I got to read the book, and um, it looks, it's so, so, it's gorgeous on the inside. And they've got these um, little chapter segments where, like, famous people from Star the Star Trek universe are musing on something. There's a data one, and there's, like, um, the the Cardassian gull from the episode where, like, the Phoenix in Star Trek The Next Generation is, like, flying around the Cardassian Empire blowing stuff up. Yeah. Like, they've got a little journal entry from that Cardassian. So, so, so they know their stuff. Wow, I love it. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think fans are really going to love it. Um, it's sold really well so far. Um, yeah. Well, but I, I really, people are really going to, they're going to dig it. Very cool. So, um, uh, Gen Con, what's up with that? Four day badges are totally gone, as are oh one day badges for Saturday. So, if you're go- trying to go, uh, you, you better go now. Uh, um, I don't know if at this time uh, the, the broadcast, uh, I know that the NEs were looking for volunteers. And they had badges on offer. Um, and I think uh, Baldman or Goodman, I never remember. But one, Baldman or Goodman were looking for GMs for Shadows of the Demon Lord and I think Masks uh, also offering badges. So uh, good luck getting there. Um, I'm sure it's going to be crazy. I'm getting Wednesday morning when you showing up, John. 
Um, I'm, I'm a local. Um, oh, right. So I'm going to be there from Wednesday when I help truck in all the stuff for Third Eye Games. And we do the, the ever so pleasant and lovely, um, you know, set up in that hot, hot, hot exhibition hall. Yeah. I, I don't want to hear it. I'm in Arizona right now. I'll see ya. I think we're over by Artist Alley, uh, where, where Engine and Transmission Games is going. Although they got a pallet and the rest, uh, people will be hauling out of my van quickly and through the regular doors because hmm. I am not doing the loading again. Uh, that shit was bullshit. You hang out in a dusty field for like an hour and then you have like 10 minutes after you drive through the confusing fucking directions down into the loading area to get all your shit out of the car and leave again. And I don't understand I why I've, it was... Yeah. I've literally had to, like, throw bags at people and be like, start setting up. I've got to move my car. Yeah. Have them go, we don't know how it's supposed to be set up. And I'm like, I don't care. Just, just, just when Aloy gets here, just do what he says. And I have to race back to my car. And it doesn't matter if I get there at, like, five minutes over the limit or two minutes under. There's always um, a blue shirt yelling at you going, get your car out of here. Yeah. Other people have to get this dock. And you can only go inside and move stuff in if you have a batch. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, just what most cons do. Or, or the the little um, paper wrap on your wrist. Oh yeah, paper wrap. Okay. Yeah. Which um last year um some friends of mine they're they're very well meaning but they accidentally bogarted all of ours. Oh no. So we had to the hall and they're like no no we'll just return them and it's like they tape around your wrist. What do you think you were gonna do? Cut them off and like glue them? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we'll just find tape or something. And it's like, okay, fine tape. We've got to get in there. Yeah, that sucks. No, but um, the 40 pad badges sold out. Like, I know that the number one, like, thread on, uh, like, the Gen Con Facebook group next to the Gen Con Ghost Con is, um, you know, just is it going to be super packed? Um, uh, what are people going to do to get in? Um, and then, like, how many total people are actually going to be there? And I've heard a lot of numbers, and I don't know what numbers are to be believed. Um, My, like, I've heard... So 75? Well, someone told me 175. Oh my no! God. Bullshit! I have no idea. No, no, that last year was 62 or something. There's no I way that was just 75. What? I thought that was just unique certain style, which meant new people. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. I thought that was... Um, now I want to look it up, because I don't think it was 162. All right, Jeez. so well, Mike, hey. Mike, will you look it up? We'll, uh, we'll move on to the, the media, other media ventures. Yeah, yeah, move on. Move on to the media ventures. So um, I will I will leave that one for you. Let's see. Um, here, I will talk about some stuff that I put on here while you do that. So you know how everyone like supported that big bring Young Justice back thing on Netflix and it was all like, everyone's so psyched about it and they finally managed to get it. And the cast is like, man, we're doing it. We're, we're actually like putting, we're actually in the sound booth today recording stuff. Yeah, great job, guys. Well, it's not going to be on Netflix. Yeah. They pulled it. Um, WB announced back in April that they're doing their own content platform and they're pulling everything WB off uh, Netflix and putting on their own thing including the new Young Justice series, which is called Young Justice Outsiders, um, which will be out in 2018 at some point. Which also means if you are watching any of the Justice League series that's currently on there, um, you have until August 1st to finish up because they're going to be moving to another platform. That just feels like a huge slap in the face, honestly. Um, I, 
everybody's trying to do that. Um, every studio is trying to do their own media content, which I can sort of see. But the only thing that I would want is if they could make it free. Yeah, I like, mean, I don't mind downloading another app or, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't mind that. But when it's like, hey, watch all WB content, you can watch Animaniacs or Tiny Toons or, or Batman or, or, you know, Young Justice, but pay us uh, eight ninety nine a month. And it's like, for eight ninety nine a month, I'll wait till the DVD is going to the bargain bin on Amazon. Yeah, so the thing, the problem is, so currently I pay for Amazon Prime and I pay for Netflix. I used to pay for Hulu, okay. but it doesn't really matter. Mike, you got the numbers? Yeah. Uh, continued a seven-year streak of record turn style sentence last year with 201,852 attendees. And you were right. It's just new people. Oh, wow. Unique attendance, whatever unique attendance is, was just at 60,890. So, that, that's... good Lord. So, so uh, maybe it will be like 250,000 people. That's wow. insane. So, yeah, like I was saying, um, I don't want to pay for another app just because you don't want to put it on Netflix. I don't want to Well, pay... here's the here's the issue, guys. From the production standpoint, there used to be a whole lot of money in creating television series because you pull in a ton of ad revenue. Mm-hmm. At this point, there are more people with a Netflix account in the United States than there are on cable in the United States. And yeah. the number of providers and the amount of ad revenue you get or I mean there is no ad revenue to be gotten from Netflix. Let's start there. The only ad revenue that you're going to get is product placement. There's no commercials, right? So like their their whole model of production from like the, where the money comes from to buy the cameras and pay the cameraman and everything else, that's all fucked up. Well, and they're scrambling it's a to figure shift. out how to... it's different. So yeah, I understand why they're going to try to go to an 899 model. But the but their problem is is like they need to realize that the gold the gold line like it's it's run out, right? Like cuz if you if you make it too difficult or too expensive for people to access they're just gonna find a free way to access it, mm-hmm. and you're gonna, you know, suck an egg, man. Like, for me, uh, it's all about I can't afford cable. Um, we pay yeah. about fifty or sixty bucks uh, for internet, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And Same here. We, we got rid of cable as well. I mean, we have Netflix and Hulu, but like, what is that? Another twenty bucks a month? Yeah, that's it. 15, 16? My mom still has cable. And um, it seems like every month she is on the phone yelling at um, AT&T, just like, you raised my rates by $60 again. I can't, I want a fixed income. I can't afford $200 a month. And they'll do something and they'll knock it back down to like 140 And I'll just look at it and be like, you're paying 140 a month? I mean, it's for internet and cable, but like, that means you're paying like $80 for TV. Yeah. And uh, if you look at TV these days, especially AT&T, it goes normal channel, commercial channel, normal channel, commercial channel, until you get to the 200s, and then you have about 30 pay-per-view channels, which they oddly have, like, the kids' movie channels next to uh, Playboy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so a, there literally is a fine line between, do you want to watch Moana or She Moans? Uh, I mean, no, we're watching Moana, just Moana. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, it's... I understand that cable companies have to make a profit, too, but yeah, it's just so many people these days where it's like, I'd much rather spend sixty bucks for internet and then maybe twenty bucks a month on like Netflix, Hulu, and something else. Yeah, it's a unique industrial problem because unlike uh, most services, like taxis, right? Like taxis are going the way of the dinosaur real fucking quick. I, I was Uber talking to the guy from Kenya and so in Chicago about that. Uh, yeah. But taxis here are not a supported infrastructure the same way cable is. 
right? Like cable requires running lines. There's an enormous amount of um, like intermingling with the cable company and local municipalities for them to provide their services the same way that the electric company or the water company provides services. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to collapse in any kind of, I'm, I'm, my angle is so fucked up for this. I feel like it's a weird German expressionist crap. It's, <laughs> it's their collapse is going to be really gradual and weird. It's not going to be like, you know, uh, the taxi service or, or an equivalent uh, technology, technology overcome industry. So, yeah, yeah it's weird. The thing is going to be, it's like, we, there has to be another source of revenue for them. They have to find that source of revenue and they have to latch on. They have to figure out what it's going to be. They have to build up that oh. revenue. Does that mean integrated ads? What? Right? Like, Crackle has integrated ads, and yep. I watched Crackle for Super Mansion because that shit was funny and excellent. And if you haven't watched Super Mansion, go do it. It's free. It's on Crackle. You have to watch, like, three commercials an episode. It's really okay not the big deal. Crunchyroll does the same yeah, thing no, as anime. Hilarious. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. When I watch, uh, when I go to Mom's and I watch shows on um, her on demand stuff, which is free. They make you watch ads, but I didn't care. Yeah. Because it was yeah. sort of a, oh, you're making me watch ads in the middle of Bones? Oh, it's like I'm watching Bones live. Okay, whatever. I have to watch a 60-second ad, oddly enough, sometimes, for Bones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, you're telling me about the 60 And YouTube uh, ads, too, you know? Like, um, a lot of YouTube channels have ads that make revenue go ads. It's just not the, the bountiful planes that the TV advertising market once was. Well, it's be that's because they built up the infrastructure over what? 30, 40 years, and we're now just getting into this thing where, hey, if you're watching this on YouTube, guess what? That That's where, no. that's how... What really fucked them was their, like, disdain for actually caring about customer service. Oh, totally. Because if you look at any industry, nobody gets shit on for customer service like the cable industry has been shit on for customer so service. So, I actually... Worked... Even fucking, like, airplanes need to harm people to get treated worse than the cable companies get treated because that's how the, the bank how... have better public service records. Yeah. Um, so I actually worked marketing for, I will, since I, I'm under NDA, I worked, uh, digital marketing for, there's only like three. Uh, there were it's a few. I worked for one of them though. I, there was some of my product. They were one of my clients at one point, getting anyone to put, write an article that was in any way positive about them was like pulling teeth. Um, the only venue I could find was, Hey, you guys do some great charity work. Cool. I like that. We can put out stuff on that. No, we don't want you to talk about that. We want you to talk about this exact thing right here. It is a publicity only. Th it is like it's selling our packages, and you will accept that. I'm like, okay, yeah. keep throwing money at us. We'll try. You know, it. People, I got angry emails back. I got some guys swear me out on the phone one point. I'm never gonna deal with insert company here. I hate those bastards. I'm like, okay, thank you very much for your time, sir. Um, but yeah, we're in the middle of a paradigm shift. I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. Well, actually today is the day for, for net neutrality action. And yeah. that's where it's going as their, their solution to this is to try to ration off the internet, uh, in a profitable fashion. And here's the so. thing, net neutrality, I'll tell you right now, people, if you find a dam, the water's going to go around the dam. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, you, I you're just going to force people to go to their own private, you know, you know, distribution networks and stuff. It's gonna. It's I'm not moving gonna work. to New Zealand, and in our first like conversation with uh, my buddy, who's helping me out, um, he had to get up and get the door because people had come to install fiber to his house, like a fiber oh line. Oh my god! And we were all like, "Oh, well, how much is that costing?" He was like, "Oh, what? oh no, it's not costing anything." We're like, "What?" He's like, "No, nah, they're just doing that everywhere." 
and said, no, the state's doing it. God. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking oh about? God. Yeah. So. Oh. Mm -hmm. and, and anyway, as we discussed last week, prostitution is legal there, so that's even better. Uh, what else is going on? Movie stuff. Uh, the Aladdin movie is, I think, going to be a disaster. I haven't uh, seen first it. First of all, it's Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie is directing it. So, <laughs> disaster number one. Disaster number two. They're having trouble casting it, which is insane because Bollywood is much bigger than Hollywood, and a lot of those people speak English. So, so you guys do yeah, know because... that there. There is an Aladdin movie. Um, there, there is an Aladdin movie, a Bollywood Aladdin movie that is like um, oh, killer. I'm sure. Oh, it's it's terribly bad. It's wonderful. Oh, it's, really? Oh, it's it's bad, but it's good. It has some famous uh, Bollywood actors in it. I, I can't pronounce his name, so don't ask me to. Um, I know they got a, they get big budgets for that. Like they their do. budgets loom way above Hollywood's. Um, and the thing is, it is the most Bollywood movie you will ever see. Uh, oh, the genie, even in like Hindi, is not called. Genie, he's called Genius, and there's some amazing number dance numbers in there. I don't know. I've watched it like three or four times. Do not watch it on YouTube. Um, like the they, you can buy it on YouTube. The uh, dub and the sub don't don't match up to the voices at all. At one point, it starts getting away from it. So go buy it like in a DVD bin or something. It is amazing. Up there with my favorite uh, Bollywood movies. Up there with Dahoom Three. If you guys haven't seen that, oh. Oh my god, we have to do an episode on Bollywood. I would, I would die. Um, yeah, let's talk about Bollywood. So but, uh, yeah, so they're having trouble casting this one. Although apparently Will Smith is on board, so reason number three. <laughs> is is uh, he the genie, or is he like? <sighs> Who knows, man. Uh, he's almost certainly he's dead shot in this one too. He's what? He's dead shot in this one too. Oh, dead shot in this one too. That'd be sweet. <laughs> I'd be down for that. Um, you only get three wishes. I don't think I only get three wishes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, there's a Furioka, Furiosa Focus Mad Max script. There are actually three scripts, from what I understand, and they're just waiting for uh, George Miller to pick which one. Um, so that's cool. So, uh, that um, what people were all like, oh, is this one where Mad Max is going to be? I, I've shared that article. Someone goes, yeah. is this the one where Mad Max is, or Max is going to be the main character? I'm like, look, since the first one, he's had decreasing agency. He's never, he's the POV character. He's not the protagonist in any of his really like he is to a degree but again decreasing agency as it goes through the movies like the last one he's literally just the audio basically the or the audience surrogate basically at that point yeah yeah so oh no he's not in this one three he was he was he was definitely the protagonist in three and two well he, but yeah, no i think you're right he's got he's got less and less of a centralized role yeah. in each one he's just kind of yeah. like the catalyst yeah exactly yeah. he has some agency, but it's decreasing in each movie, and to the point where Fury Rogue, wherever that fits in in their universe, which I actually don't care, I like the movie, um, is just going to be, I don't know, basic. You know, I'm okay with it. He's just literally the, the audience sitting there going, I have a question about the plot, and they go, oh, okay, other character, you know. He's Exposition Man, and doesn't talk. It's great. Um, Cards Against Humanity for her is out. It is exactly the same as Cards Against Humanity, except it's in a pink box and costs $5 more, um, which I think is perfect for that, that company. Uh, there's that's also, totally I guess, a period pack that you can get. Yeah, no, that's that's very, that's very their marketing. Yeah. Like, that's why I have it in quotes. It's like, now there's an answer, Cards Against Humanity for her. It's exactly the same as the original Cards Against Humanity game, but the box is pink and it costs $5 more, end quote. Like, <laughs> it's an actual um, marketing thing. 
Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget what it's called, but no, yeah, the, hey, we oh. made this for you. We made razors for you. They're pink. We think you'll like it. They're twice the cost of a men's razor. Yeah, exactly. It's called um, discriminatory pricing policies. It, it's really just like a marketing gimmick to go alongside the, uh, they've exactly. released a period pack for like uh, add-on cards. They're all about periods. Fantastic. So. Uh, and the last thing was there's a... I don't play the Batman DC Universe Miniatures game, but I might try to get this anyway. Uh, there's a Batmite figurine at Oh, Gen my God, Con. that's amazing. Yeah. I, love I play it. It's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, well, check it out, dude. They, they're doing an exclusive Batmite miniature at Gen Con. Yeah? Yeah. I, I'm trying to get one, because it's fucking Batmite. So, I'm curious Mike, how powerful it's going to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, have you have, you, have both of you guys seen I Spider-Man? did. I saw it. I saw it. John, I... have you seen Spider-Man Homecoming yet? Yes, I have. Okay. okay. So you can... Spoiler! Spoiler alert. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Um, so what do you guys think? Oh, I loved it. Um, I, was, I, I, was on, I was laughing my went, ass off from start to finish. It felt like Ultimate Spider-Man, which I was okay with. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I like the original Vulture, but Ultimate Vulture was cool, too, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I um, actually really like Vulture 2099. Because I'm a fucking weirdo, so... 2099 was a fun universe, even outside of Spider-Man 2099. Um, one thing I thought they got really close with was, if you read the old Spider-Man comics, he is a high schooler. I mean, if you guys don't know Marvel's background, before they produced superhero comics, they produced two types of comics. Romance drama comics, like for teenagers, and horror comics. And they kind of went like this, and they said, look, they're superheroes, guys. So they still had that coming up on strong when they were inventing spider-man who is a teenage drama like character who also is a superman by the way if you didn't know you know so no, what they really killed it with this movie was they got the spirit right yes like, when exactly. you're reading a spider-man comic there's a certain vitality to it that isn't present in superman or batman or yeah. captain america or really any other comic that it has to it ties in with his bravado and like the the smart mouth he's got right but there's an excitedness to the whole fucking thing. And this movie coalesced that into a film and did so better than all the other Spider-Man movies. So the, the thing is, like, this movie, they cast... They, Spider-Man is, is the young guy in the series, which is kind of... Oh, the cool. opening of the movie was dope, oh, too. Oh, the whole thing was great, dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like a video log the... he's keeping of, like, during the whole events yep. of Civil War. He's like, oh, there's Captain America. Oh, oh shit, that's me. All right, I'll be back. And he like sets the phone down. You see him like leap out and catch the shield. Yeah. Um, well, oh, and the infomercials up. like he gets in trouble at school, and they make him watch Captain America videos. I love and, the line like, of. The time. I love the line of. They go, wait, isn't he a war criminal right now? Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Um, the thing you, is, with you that series, the at the end, right? they said, what was that? You watched the stinger at the end, right? Oh, of course. I did not get to catch the stinger. Tell me what the tell me what the stinger the, was. The final stinger is if you stay through all the credits, it's a Captain America PSA where he just goes, "Persistence is some is rewarded, but not always," and just basically just says something like that, and then it just ends. Obviously, <laughs> um, he, like, he did also looks off camera and goes, "How many more of these are we recording?" Yep. <laughs> the, um, so one thing I thought was really cool was if you guys didn't know, damage control exists. Damage control is. Yeah a team within the Marvel Universe which cleans up after superhero fights. They get the government contracts. Uh, they're kind of fun. And they set up the premise for that and they have a damage control. Was it a movie or a series? I forget. I thought it was supposed to be a series. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's coming out at some point and I'm kind of like, oh, that's cool. Um, so I'm a huge Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fan. One thing that I, I noticed they did but they didn't call it out 
what well, I know. I'm 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 self abusive if I like that show. Um, <laughs> they um, so bad. I love the show. That's why I love it though. It's so corny. <laughs> um, they had a, the big jet come out and turn like stealth and everything. Uh, cloak. Yeah. That's the Zephyr, but it's not the Zephyr. It's one of the. It's one of the. It's the same class of ship as the Zephyr that does the same thing. I'm like, oh, that's a little nod. I don't know if they meant it intentionally, but yeah. I'm sure they did. Well, if, if you haven't seen Spider-Man, definitely go see it. It was good. Yep. It was, I love their version of the Vulture. Um, oh, he was fun. I, I love, love Michael, Michael Keaton. Keaton. I mean, I loved had... his motivations. I love the fact that he was like literally he was um, a city uh, construction guy who got screwed over by the government, proving yeah, once again. Happened. That nobody in the Marvel universe, like every good guy in the Marvel universe, is going to create a villain at some point. Yep. And just watching this, and it was just sort of like, wow. He. Oh, and did you catch the nod? How um, all of his henchmen were all turn out later on to be supervillains. Yep. Oh yep. yeah, I like the shocker. Shocker is yeah. one of my favorite villains, so I like that that he got some love. And the um the 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 guy who tinkers Smith is the Mad Tinker. Oh, yeah. is he? I didn't catch that. That's awesome. Yeah, um, and then of course we all saw Matt Gargan, who was the Scorpion. Yep. Yeah, I saw the tattoo up there. I was like, "Are they going for that? Is that who they're going?" Oh, all right. I mean, that's why. We, why else would you hold on to Spider Man if you couldn't get your hands on the Sinister Six? So, um, actually, there's there's a really weird thing. So, I know you two know, but let me just say it for their viewers. Um, so, Sony has given them the rights to use Spider Man in Marvel movies. Um, basically, Sony funded it and gets all the money, but Marvel created it. It gets the marketing rights, the, the like the toy and merchandising rights. But Marvel, or Sony still has control of the, a bunch of Spider-Man characters. So they're producing a Spider-Man, or a Venom movie that makes no reference to Spider-Man and can't make reference to Spider-Man. And they're not only going, stopping there, they're making connected movies with, there's one movie with two villains, I can't remember which one it is, which two they are. And they're doing a Black Cat and Silver Sable one. And I'm like, that's gonna confuse a lot of people, man. Yeah. That just that just blows my mind how they're setting that up. Let's see what goes down. Well, from what I understand, Marvel sold the rights to X Men, Fantastic Four, um, Spider Man years ago. Yeah. Uh, we're talking like in the nineties, two thousands. Yeah. And they did it on like a self renewing contract. Yep. Where as long as um, Sony and Fox continue to pay contract, which is like. Five or ten percent of the expected gross income for that product each year, then they got to keep it. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, Marvel could never get that annulled, yeah. um, because it's not like Sony or Marvel or Fox acted in bad faith. I mean, they yeah. did a Fantastic Four movie, but they didn't. That's <laughs> yeah. it. I think that movie counts as an act of bad faith. Yeah. That's one reason why they actually to rush out. It, you know that? Fan hmm? Four yeah. stick. They're uh, they're going forward with a sequel to that movie. At least last I heard. They have to do something with the property every so many years, or yeah. else yeah. they lap. Well, it, yeah, what they, there's something in the, in the industry called ash can copies. It's for comics, but it's also for movies. It basically means a movie that technically, or a work that technically follow, satisfies the contract for that. For example, they made a ash can uh, Fantastic Four movie back in the 70s 94. Or 80s. Roger uh, Corman. And it, they released it on such a limited basis that it was the minimum amount of things they had to release, and they released it to, like, friends of the people who worked in the movie, you know? Um, Stanley said afterwards that, like, once he found out that the people making it didn't realize that, that its final destination was the Ashcan, that he wished he would have given them real money. Yep. 
like to make it like properly. Yeah. But yeah, the um, so they do that with comic books sometimes. It's literally like uncolored comic books. They're like, look, we made a comic book technically on it. We gave it out to some people at a convention. Um, but yeah, that's so that's unfortunate. I think that the, the Fantastic Four movies are unfortunately like a step up from the uh, of an ash can. You know what I mean? They're like, we technically have to make this so Marvel doesn't make money on it. What I recall Disney. of the bootleg I saw for the Corman movie, I thought the story, and particularly that was the one where they fucked up Doom the least, which is always the thing that bothers me most about Fantastic Four movies. Always fuck up Victor Von Doom. Like, you cannot get a better iconic bad scientist anywhere else. Stop fucking with him. Okay, Just so... Write him as he's been written forever. He's perfect. Leave him alone. So God. here's the thing, though. He's not just a mad scientist. He's a mad scientist, evil wizard, sorcerer who's went to hell trying to save his own mother. His story is so cool. Leave it be. I would watch just a Doctor Doom movie. Oh my God. Oh, I would watch. Yes, the Doom 2099 was the best series of the 2099 runs. So have you guys? Down. Do you guys watch a nope. uh, movie, Bob, at all? Bob Chipman? Yeah. Yeah, so Bob Chipman actually talked about how he would do the Fantastic Four as a kind of a thought experiment thing. I would love how he did it. Oh my god, it's awesome. Um, I mean, it's, it's not even, like, super amazing, but it's like, it brings in the 70s aspect, it brings in, like, the all the entire team dynamics, and the sequel he talked about involves Doom. I'm like, come on, man, Doom. Doom. Oh, anyway, Doom carries right. around a gun. He doesn't carry around a laser gun. He doesn't carry around like a taser. He carries around an old style German Luger. Yeah, like he doesn't care. He's doomed. I don't know. I think he fits in nicely actually with the Marvel universe. If they got a great charismatic person to play him, like okay, so think of like okay, everyone always says that Marvel has the worst villains, um, because and I'm like, okay. Oh. The thing is though, they had think of the ones that we remember Christoph though. Christoph Waltz is doomed. So think think about the. The people oh, who are, like, man. actually memorable villains. You have probably Loki and maybe... I, I'm going to say the Vulture from this one is really good. You have really charismatic people playing good villains. I mean, you could make a Loki movie at this point and everyone would just go see it. Um, Christoph Waltz could play Doom to a T. But yeah, it's just one of those things where it's like... If you got someone charismatic to play Doom and he just they let him go... Super over the top, man. I would watch that movie all day, every day. Yeah. Richards! Yeah, yeah screaming I can totally, I can hear him fucking saying it now in my head. Like, oh, shit. All right, so, all right. um, all right. let's, uh, Kickstarter. Kickstarter. I only have one to talk about, which yeah. is the new pass compendium from Cobalt Press. Uh, what are the stats on it right now? That's so, I, I will say that we, we lied last week. Um, obviously, this man is not, uh, Mark Rattles, so uh, we're going to talk with him in the future. He uh, he had something come up, so. Oh, yes. John, we're very, we're very glad to have you all the same. Indeed. Um, but, yeah, uh, they're at 21,000. Uh, they have 512 backers. They're, they're way overfunded. Uh, they have 15 days left. I'm sure it'll be Go pretty Go throw dope. money at them. It's awesome. And uh, do we have any other Kickstarters to shout out to? Uh, I didn't have anything. All right, John. So John, you what got you about ten minutes about here. What you talking about? Is your free topic? Yeah, go go nuts. What what oh, is no. the burning passion in your soul right now? Uh, 
probably sleep. Um, sleep's pretty cool. I don't know if you guys heard of it. Um, I've only ever gotten like an hour at a time, but uh, sleep's pretty cool. No. Uh, What's that? Um, no, like right now, just um, when it comes to like game design, um, what I've been finding myself doing a lot because it's something that I enjoy the most about game design. Like, I'm just gonna also throw this out here. When it comes to making a game, it's arguably the simplest thing that you could commission someone to do. Is that I really like the world building part because I mean, game mechanics you can't just go roll this die, take result, add to this, you're done. But with like building a world, it's so easy to go. You're on the world of Draenor. There are two races on there: the Draenei and the Orcs. There's this other world, Azeroth. You can just go from there. And but for me, I've always loved that aspect. Mm-hmm. Which you know, when it comes to contract work, that's the thing that people need the least because almost every game developer out there can do their own world building. But I for know, me, I, um, I just got a contract to do some of that. So. Mm-hmm. For me, though, um, something I've been doing a lot, especially because it's very therapeutic, is um, I've been working on these like side game lines, um, one of which I, uh, I'm pretty confident is going to be published someday. That's the one I can't really talk about. The other one that I've been working on um, um, is this kind of weird oddball setting that I know I've mentioned a little bit to Mike, um, where it's a world where um, the humans, the elves, the dwarves, and all the other standard fantasy races have pretty much died out. Mm-hmm. And so the monster races are given time to actually become the dominant powers. So you don't have, like, the, the elven kingdom of Rithlas over there. You have, oh, that's the, the Knoll kingdom of Jawbone. Um, and what I've been doing it just in my free time is I've been doing it from, like, an anthropological kind of Interesting. plant. That's a good way where to I'm wanting go about it. What? That's a good way to go about it. It's an original oh, approach. I've been wanting to do it from like a fifth ed angle, and that pretty much helps solve itself with mechanics. Yeah. Where there would only need to be like certain unique mechanics. But I wanted to make it so that it's not just a reskin D&D game where it's like, oh, you want to play goblins? I uh, use the stats for dwarves. Um, I wanted to make a game where um, as you read through it, you actually got to see how these cultures advanced. And so goblins take over the old dwarven holds, but they become like a merchantile society. Cool. Um, and they're in the middle of a communist revolution where, like, the goblin bank, the goblin guilds with their bankers uh, control society, and they tell goblins who are born that you you have to do well your entire life or you'll end up poor, and if you end up poor, then you're dishonoring all goblins. And so they, in turn, develop their own um, burgeoning, like, rebellion, where there are goblins who are like, no, money doesn't decide who you are. And then you've got, like, races like um, the uh, bugbears, who are roaming uh, like the northern forests, kind of like the Mongolians did, where they've got yurts and carts pulled by oxen, and nice. they nice. they raid wherever they please. I always like when people and, take um, a realistic view of the Mongols. They're a very interesting culture. Yeah, um, and uh, I've been doing this too. Like I, I actually like the books are written from the perspective of a human who got stuck in a time dilation field because he was trying to shut off this magical artifact and he got trapped in it. And for him, it was as simple as walking across the room, flipping a light switch, and then walking back. But for him, 200 years have passed. Huh. Uh, huh. So, and he possesses this ring, which allows him to shapeshift. So he's walking among these societies, and he's you, the the reader gets to see what a human would see nice. if they were walking in nice. a kingdom made of um, like Sahagan or lizard men and or harpies. 
And I'll admit, some of these races are drawn from my love of Warcraft. Um, <laughs> That's okay. Uh, when I was a teenager, I played that Warcraft 2 all the time. My sister installed a bootleg copy on uh, the, the home PC. And I, all the time, man. We Made know. custom maps, played all the levels, and um, played all the way through. And I'm excited because I'm hoping there's going to be a Warcraft 4 coming out soon. Maybe. Because I missed the strategy Maybe. game. So the, um, and, yeah, the, the uh, one thing that's interesting was you brought up uh, World Ruled by Monsters. I don't like... I don't like... Someone's got a really bad echo. Yeah, there's a... Anyway, so the um, one of the races we worked on for that monster book, I don't like just going... Because it's, it's like, you know, anthropomorphized classic monsters. I don't like just going, they did the scoodly poop with a human, here's the race. That's just boring to me. So one of them, the Chimera mm -hmm. race, the Daikai, are actually from a world like you described. It's It's... These guys actually a thousand years ago were ported over from another universe. That universe was where all the monster races were actually humanoids, and all the humanoids were basically dire, feral things. So yes, in that setting, there are potentially well, that that reference to that world, there are potentially like like dire dwarves running around like elk, like orc, like uh, like uh, like uh, apes or whatever with like spikes and stuff. I don't know, but mm -hmm. I, I like the idea of having exploring the monstrous races. That is just so much fun to do, um, and if, if you allow me to plug something, the um, if you guys if you guys are on Reddit r slash world building, there's a lot of great things with that. Um, I hang out there myself a bit as of late. Um, I'm talking about the utopian sci-fi stuff. I'd go there a bunch, um, but yeah, that's a great place to explore, um, see what other people are doing. There's a lot of alternate history stuff there, which isn't my favorite thing, honestly. Um, but there's a lot of really cool like. Hey guys, I drew this race. Here's its background, um, and they get a lot of feedback on it. Arc gets really popular there, but the uh, Lore Masters subreddit is also good. Yep, that's a good one too. I, I lurk on Reddit of... a lot. What? I lurk on Reddit a lot. Yep. It's a complicated den of sin and villainy. Yep. I do but, a uh, yeah. I did an AMA there at one point, the world building one. Yeah, I did a game designer AMA three years ago or something. Few years ago, something like that. But yeah, it's fine. So yeah, it looks like that's uh that wraps us up for today. Uh, join us in a few well, minutes here for uh, yeah, Moonchalson. Moonchalson. Um, so yeah, guys. Um, once again, thanks for joining us, John. It was a pleasure. Yeah. I think we'll have some. I love being here. too, great. right? In a bit. Yeah. Thanks for coming on over, man. And I'll see you in like a month at the uh at the Gen Con. At right, Gen guys. Con. So uh. Until next time, guys, have a, have a nice week.